What's up, everybody? Uh, episode 29 uh, today, we're going to be talking about a bunch of stuff I've gotten questions on. I'm, I've been wanting to do a Q&A for a long time, and uh, I, I haven't actually solicited the Q&A thing. I'm going to try that out at some point where I just kind of uh, set a time and date and, and you guys uh, get on some kind of a mechanism with me uh, where we answer questions right there on the spot. But uh, what I want to do now is I got a bunch of Facebook messages lately uh, just asking me, hey, can you do an episode on this? Can you address these issues? Can you do those things? And so I'm just going to kind of put them all together in an episode uh, and make it happen. Uh, I'm not going to do a history segment this time around because I think this might take me a minute. Uh, and, I, and I just want to get right into the questions uh, and get those answers out there uh, so that you guys aren't waiting on me for a long period of time to get to like a spin the yarn. Uh, even, I've got a bunch kind of backlogged, which is nice. Uh, I just have to find the time to edit them and post them now, which I'm actually going to try to edit some today so that I just am scheduling uh, releases so there's not such big gaps between content release. Uh, so I'm working on getting ahead so that I can schedule stuff to get released while I'm on deployment. Um, and then not just not have uh, such big gaps. So uh, that's the plan right now. Uh, but today I've got three different questions I want to answer. Uh, I want to kind of discuss those things uh, and address them directly so that you guys have the answers you're looking for. And then I'm, I'm sure uh, everybody else has been in similar situations uh, or has some kind of uh, way that they can apply these things, right? So uh, the first question I want to talk about a couple of, he, it's a bunch of little things that he added up into one question, right? Uh, and I'll read those in a second, but the basically the question was about personnel being held accountable uh, and not, not accepting that well, right? So uh, he asked, how do we help junior leaders develop the self-reflection skills that help them be held accountable without attacking back, right? Without responding to uh, that accountability negatively. And, and some of the examples he gave uh, were, Second and first class is kind of coking and joking in the smoke pit, right? And a, and a first class pulls them aside, talks to them, says, hey, uh, the things you were talking about weren't exactly appropriate, uh, so knock it off. That's not the kind of stuff that we wanna be we want to be doing. And then uh, there were first classes involved in that conversation. So the first classes uh, held those guys accountable, which is awesome. Uh, and the, the guy that was being held accountable responded with, bro, it's not a big deal. Don't get all hissy over dumb conversation and then just storms off, right? Obviously not the way that you want a leader to be responding to criticism, right? The, uh, the second one was a department LPO kicking back a, a chit to a division LPO uh, because it's missing a checklist. Division LPO says uh, it's not wrong according to the instruction and the guidance he got from the program owner, uh, to which the department LPO comes unhinged and bullies the division LPO. So the power went to his head a little bit uh, and he kind of lost it on him. And uh, that was a teachable moment. We'll get into that. And then finally, a chief uh, that went on leave uh, didn't properly prepare his LPO with a pass down. And then when the chief came back, the LPO was like, hey, chief, I had a really hard time while you were gone. And I kept getting slammed with unexpected things I didn't see coming uh, because I wasn't tracking the stuff at your level. I didn't have any notes. So next time we need to do a better job communicating before one of us goes on leave. That's all. That's great. That's exactly what he should have said. Uh, to which the chief responded, I don't have to tell you things at my level and you need to be tracking what's going on in the division. So that's uh, there's not a whole lot of ownership going on there. Um, and so we'll talk about the accountability piece, right? Um, and they're all slightly different situations, but they all are part of a common thread. And in, in some of them, the first thing I wanna talk about is peer-to-peer -peer enforcement, right? In, in some of them, that was happening, and that's awesome. Uh, the first classes holding those guys accountable in the smoke pit, the, uh, 
the the LPO pushing back on his chief saying, "Hey, you know, I need we need to communicate better." And then uh, the uh, division LPO is kind of standing his ground, saying, "Hey, no, it's nothing wrong with it. It doesn't need this checklist or whatever." Uh, I, in in that particular example, if the checklist is kind of like a locally created uh, requirement, then it may not be in accordance with the instruction, but it's in accordance with guidance from a higher a higher authority. So you should probably be doing it, um, but. The first part of it being peer-to-peer enforcement, it if you do it, it's great, right? If you hold your peers accountable, it's outstanding. And it's something that it only works if it's part of the culture, right? So the, the top leadership needs to create a culture of peer-to-peer enforcement. It needs to be okay. And you, you the one of the ways you can do that and make it okay. Uh, is when you you as the senior leadership empower your juniors to hold you accountable. Uh, one of the ways that I've done this in the past is uh, uniform stuff, right? I've, I'm, I'm a big uniform standards guy, right? And so I take a lot of pride in my uniform appearance and my grooming s- standards and all that stuff. And so I, I go out of my way to make sure I'm squared away all the time, right? But I'm human and I screw stuff up. And there are times where, you know, I, something might be jacked up, right? It's possible. Uh <laughs> And I encourage people, and I used to tell my A school students all the time, if you see me out in the fleet, I challenge you to find an issue with my uniform. Like, I challenge you to find me slipping, right? Like, catch me slipping. Uh, It hasn't happened yet. (laughs) Not by one of my students anyway, but uh, people correct me all the time, and and that's fine. Uh, If I'm doing something wrong, I want somebody to point it out and tell me, hey, uh, this is is not a thing you should be doing, um, and you need to correct it. And and an example I can give is uh, a little bit of road rage. Uh, I'm not a big fan of driving uh, in general. I think people have kind of lost their mind with their cell phone use and just attentiveness and it's terrifying and if I didn't have to drive a car I wouldn't but uh, that's another topic for another time but I I get really upset and kind of rage a little bit and uh, a friend of mine corrected me and kind of said hey like you're driving a car in your uniform do you really think it's a great idea uh, to be flipping out in your car when someone does something that that keys you up and uh and it wasn't, I wasn't doing anything insane, but it was kind of like uh, the appearance of me losing my cool in a car in uniform can be perceived many different ways. And she kind of pointed that out for me. And I'm like, you know what? You're absolutely right. I need to calm down. And uh, to the point where now I drive this little electric car that I couldn't drive aggressively if I wanted to. <laughs> and I listen to podcasts all the time. And I just kind of, it's my time to to learn and my time to enjoy uh, that content. And it's like, it's like relaxing reading a book. So now my commute is super low key. And that's how I address that, right? But it's something that got pointed out and that I was told was an issue. And I'm like, hey, you know what? You're right, that that is an issue. And I need to not be doing that because how would that look if I saw someone else do that? If I saw a chief in a car uh, losing his mind when someone, you know, cut him off or uh, just did something crazy. I, I've had a lot of really odd encounters, but peer-to-peer enforcement, like it works when it's created as part of the culture. You've got to breed it into the culture. It needs to be something that's made okay by the senior leadership. Let them correct you. Let that be okay. Let them challenge uh, the status quo. Like let them have those conversations with you where they're providing you feedback. You're actually listening and you're actually applying some of it. You can't have this top-down just dictatorship. It, it There are times where 
that's appropriate, but they're rare uh, where a, a senior leader is going to dictate explicit and non-negotiable terms to a junior. So when these conversations, all of these are conversations, right? Um, the, the second and first classes could have been talking about something that wasn't completely you know, outside the box or that they were talking about a, a touchy subject, but they were having a constructive conversation doing it. And you could, it could be, you, you need to shut them down like they're late on the cable bill. It could be something that you need to tell them this isn't the venue, but that is a conversation that you, you can and should have. And, you know, maybe even set up a time to have that conversation. Um, or maybe those first classes were wrong and that it was a completely acceptable conversation that should be part of your command culture. Maybe they were talking about what leadership could do better and somebody got worried that how that would look if a chief walked by and overheard them being criticized. There's nothing wrong with that conversation happening. There's nothing wrong with junior sailors complaining about the way stuff works. Of course they're doing that. They're always going to do that. We did that. You did that. And of course they're going to do that. But it, it, it all depends on the topic of conversation. It all depends on how they were expressing their opinions on that topic, et cetera. Like, I don't know what the exact topic was, but there are many different ways to handle it. Most, if not if not all of which, depending on the topic, were not just to shut them down and, and, and tell them, hey, you can't do that, right? It sounds like in this scenario, it wasn't an appropriate conversation and they did the right thing. And when they corrected the first class, uh, he reacted really negatively. That's That's ego. That's all that is. Go back to the ego episode. All that is, is that guy's ego got bruised because he got corrected. He knew he was wrong or he wouldn't have gotten as offended as he did. And it wasn't a dumb conversation. It was an inappropriate conversation. Just just be okay with being wrong. There's nothing wrong with being wrong. It happens. We're all human. You need to accept that and you need to make that part of your command culture. Peer-to-peer enforcement's okay. It's okay to be wrong. It's okay for me to take my back pack off and have my collar pop by accident and for someone to correct a senior chief and and say hey senior your collar's all jacked up awesome can you fix it for me or where is it and and i'll grab it right or you know hey maybe you shouldn't say that maybe that's not the topic of discussion maybe this discussion shouldn't be happening in public if you want to have that discussion let's go do it i'll find a space where we can do it privately and we can have that conversation and get whatever you know point across or get the constructive piece of that done in, in a in the appropriate environment right uh, because it could be damaging to other people right like we were talking uh earlier this week about uh map candidates and my co came in and said hey i think somebody got pre-alerted that's a problem right like because there's a routing process and that routing process involves a bunch of recommendations but the final approvals with the co and he was under the impression that this guy found out before the final approval. And he was like making plans like, oh, I'm an E5 now. I can get BAH. Well, what if it didn't get approved by the CO? Uh, it turns out that's not what happened. But the concern was very real that had this guy been pre-alerted and started making all these plans and was counting on this happening and then it didn't. I mean, he could have been making legitimate like financial decisions based on this pre-alertment. He could have been doing a whole bunch of stuff. And then the effect on that sailor's motivation, if it doesn't happen, and I'm speaking from experience because a whole bunch of people told me I was going to get capped to second class, and then it didn't happen. It ended up happening like a year later. First, it was you're getting capped as soon as you get back from school. Like I was getting congratulated by like random people from the boat. And then I got back from this school I was in, 
and I, I was records keeping school. God, this was a long time ago. And I so I get back and I'm like at quarters on the pier, like expecting to get capped, and it didn't happen. And then in next week, it didn't happen. And I'm like, okay, what's going on, you know? And then they're like, oh, no, well, they're waiting for advancement results to come out. Oh, okay, so advancement results come out. I don't make it. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, blah, 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 like excuse, 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 and then it didn't happen. And then the next cycle comes by, and I cut an 80 on the advancement exam, which for those of you that don't know, is as high as you can uh, score on an advancement exam. It does not mean I got all the questions right. It just means I scored the highest, right? So... My CO saw that, and then I still missed it by 13 points because back then it uh, everybody was star reenlisting. Not a lot, a lot of guys were making first class that were star reenlisting, so there was just a lot of second classes. So they didn't need any, so the advancement quotas were really low. So I, I caught an 80 on the advancement exam. Did not, I, I missed it by 13 points, uh, and that's when I got capped. It was I mean, over a year from when I was told I was going to be capped is when it actually happened. So you can imagine that, I mean, that took a toll on my motivation. It didn't shut me down. Uh, I, I got a pretty good chief that kept me kept me going after that happened. Um, but I should have never been pre-alerted. This guy shouldn't have been pre-alerted either, uh, which, uh, again, was not the case in, in his scenario, but it was in mine. And, and that's another example of it, right, where where that the, it's not appropriate for to have that conversation but like oh we just got out of this board and these are the guys that got selected and then you know some po3 off in the corner hears it and then runs off and tells everybody and then they got people coming up congratulating them and then as it goes up through the chief's mess and, and devos and department heads and all the way up to the co something changes and that happens it's not always appropriate to talk about all those things in public based on the tone of what i got it, you know it sounds like that conversation was just like a very obviously an appropriate conversation that he shouldn't have been engaged in anyway. But that peer-to-peer enforcement piece needs to be okay. You need to make it okay. You can start in your division and your work centers uh, and go to your department level and so on, but it, it needs to be something that you kind of breed in and make okay. And as you do that, and it will take time, these conversations will become normal. You'll train your guys and your girls to be okay accepting that criticism and they'll follow your lead if you allow it to be okay for them to criticize you for them to question you for that and and i don't mean like openly question and be defiant and disobey orders right that's the extreme and somebody will test you of course they will and you that's when you will correct that and make sure they understand that that's not how you do that right but when you're delivering an idea or a concept, you create these lines for them to operate within, right? And it's okay to ask those questions at the appropriate time. It's okay to say, hey, chief, you know, I, I've been doing this a long time and I don't know that this is the best way to do it. This is why, based on this experience, I don't think that the, this is the best idea and maybe we can do it this way. And instead of telling them to shut up and color, you have the conversation with them and you're like, you know, okay, tell me about why it didn't work. And then you go down that road and you you will find more often than not that what they're telling you is constructive in one way or another. Maybe they don't have the full picture about why you made the decision the way that you did or why the plan is constructed the way that it is and you can provide that for them. Or maybe their experience is very valuable and they're giving you 
uh, the ability to navigate a landmine that you weren't aware was there and you can make an adjustment. And not only does that save you from having the egg on your face of not uh, of stepping on that landmine, but it also gives them ownership. Now they're a valuable contributor to the team. Now they feel like, oh, like Chief listens to me. Like I gave him this feedback and like he incorporated it and, and it helped the team. And, you know, I did that. And they, I mean, think about that. And it snowballs over time and it becomes your culture. And that's something that it's not going to happen immediately, but it's something that if you take the time to make it part of your culture, a lot of these problems get fixed as a result, right? For the other ones, the same thing kind of applies for all three. I think with the kicking back of the chit, um, there, there, like I said, there could have been a local process in place, but if not, that was, again, that was just a conversation that needed to happen between those two leaders instead of a senior leader letting their ego take over and shutting this guy down because now they're going to be less likely to bring problems up because whenever they bring problems up or provide feedback, all you do is destroy them. So why would they bring up problems and and feed you the information that you need to make the most informed decision possible, right? You can't just club somebody over the head every time they challenge you or any time that they you know want to have a conversation or provide feedback or question a decision, right? And then with the, the chief, this is really disappointing. Uh, I don't have to tell you things at my level. Yeah, you do, dummy. You're training an LPO. Like, you absolutely should be telling them the things that are happening at your level to the maximum extent that you can without providing harmful information, which exists. But if he's going to be filling in for you or she's going to be filling in for you while you're on leave, they should know everything. Or there should be a chief covering down for you. And if that's what happened in this chief didn't provide that information, then that's a conversation should have been had. Like, look, there's stuff at my level that you don't need to know or that you can't know, and Chief So-and-so is gonna cover down on those those items. So if you get questioned about those, direct them to Chief So-and-so, the end, right? That doesn't sound like that happened. And then you need to be tracking what's going on in the division. I'm confident that they were, but there were things that were being handled by the Chief that are the Chief's job. And, you know, had the, had the Chief been uh, empowering this this first class LPO to do things that a chief does and function at the level of a chief, these issues would not have existed. If they were communicating like they should have been, these things wouldn't have been an issue. So this is an ownership issue uh, where you know this chief should have took ownership of these things, made sure this LPO was not only prepared, but then took ownership of the fact that, hey, I screwed up, I didn't properly prepare you, that's my bad, this is how we're gonna fix it in the future. Because the, the way this conversation went, it sounds like, uh, Sounds like our LPO was absolutely in the right, right? But the, at the end of the day, the accountability piece, accountability is something you gotta breed in your culture, all right? I don't wanna continue belaboring this point. I think we've uh, I think we've properly tackled that one. Uh, so the second one that I got was from a C-School student. Uh, so he is uh, encountering what he interprets to be a chain of command that uh, the word he used was toxic. It sounds more like complacency to me uh, based on the descriptions I got, right? So some of the things that he talked about were, uh, I guess in in this pipeline when they get to a C-School, and I know this is, is common among a bunch of different rates, uh, while they're in the C-School, at some point during the C-School, they put on third class as part of, it's like an incentive uh, for enlisting. Uh, nukes do it for sure, I know that. I think that's at the completion of their A-School, but it's a common uh, enlistment incentive that it, upon some milestone being met, they're 
automatically advanced to third class petty officer without having taken an exam. So that's the situation that these sailors are in in this pipeline. Again, initial accession training pipeline, like boot camp, A school, and now he's in a C school, okay? Uh, that's important, and I'm gonna talk about that first. But the, the issues he brings up are that there's issues with the barracks petty officers, the NMTIs, kind of treating them like it's a training command, but they're being dismissed. The The staff members are being dismissive. Uh, the barracks petty officers and the NMTIs aren't taking out the time to mentor guys, answer questions, which is the whole point of the NMTI program. If you do any research, they bring uh, fleet rates outside of the A school rates so that they get exposure to other communities and, and other uh, experiences and contexts, and that those sailors, those NMTIs, share that with those junior sailors. And it sounds like a, at least the majority of them, in the opinion of the sailor, are not motivated. They get upset when the guys come in and ask any questions, ask for advice. Uh, and then the barracks themselves are not being maintained very well. And anytime they have any issues, they're basically just told to deal with it. Uh, and then there's issues as well with uh, all the prerequisites for the advancement being met. I guess they're not getting entered into records and the students are having to like bug the staff constantly uh, to get the stuff done and to get the paperwork routed so that these guys can get advanced. And that's, I mean, delaying an advancement three to four months, I mean, that's money. Uh, and that... Uh, the next episode I'm doing is the BCNR process. And I mean, it, if you can prove that you were entitled to the rank earlier, I would consider a BCNR. But it's another, another again, another discussion for another time. Um, the first thing, I, I, I reached out to uh, a chief in this rating that I know well and that he was an NMTI uh, with me at the A school that I was at. So I, I, he had that context as well. And I said, hey, you know what? I, I don't know how the C school students are supposed to be treated in this pipeline. Um, I know what A school students, I know kind of the, the environment that they worked in. They had a duty section. They had a, you know, they had to march to and from the schoolhouse. There were, there were very, pretty strict lines, a Liberty card process. Uh, it, it was pretty strict. It wasn't boot camp strict, but it was close. And then as they phased up, they were granted more freedom and, and liberty and stuff. But it was a pretty strict environment. In a, in a long training pipeline like this one is, the, uh, the C school, you're supposed to relax it even more, right? And in preparation for them being out in the fleet. So when I talked to this chief, he basically told me, it's like they go to school, you know, they live in the barracks and, and that's it, that's what they do. They have a lot more freedom and it's really just school and uh, duty is what he told me. And, and so they should be treated with a lot more freedom, but you're still in your initial, initial accession training pipeline. So, and he recognized that, like in, in his message to me, he, he explained, he's like, I understand um, being, you know, push button to third class. I understand I'm a student, but I still feel like I'm being treated unfairly and, and not getting the attention that I should be when I, you know, need help or ask, you know, for advice or questions or, or whatever. Um, that they're being dismissive, that the barracks issues aren't being dealt with, and that the injustices with guys not getting advanced in the, in the timeline that they should be. This is a tough one because I'm not there, and I'm just going off that perspective. And, I, and then when I talked to my chief friend, he provided me a little bit of perspective, but again, he was like, it's been a long time since I've been there. What I can tell you first is you are an initial session training pipeline, right? It, 
it, if they're going to be strict, they're going to be strict. And it is what it is. Uh, you're not in the fleet yet, regardless of how long you've been in the Navy. So that pipeline exists for a reason. They're trying to prepare you for the fleet. They're trying to slowly relax restrictions, uh, or at least that's the intended purpose of the program. With, with that being said, it doesn't sound like everything's getting done above board, right? It doesn't sound like uh, the guys here are motivated to do their jobs. I, I took over an NMTI program that was a hot mess. I mean, they were BPOs with ropes on. They were very unmotivated to do anything. And it was disheartening because it, there was so much potential for sailorization and mentorship. And, and you can make such an impact uh, and I was really excited to do that, but it was disheartening to take over a program that wasn't doing that. And so it kind of sounds like that's where this is at. One of the examples he gave is an NMTI that is six months away from retiring. And so he's just on roller skates, it sounds like. Uh, unfortunately, there's not a, a ton to be done there from the, from the position that this junior sailor's in. Uh, I did ask, and I hope uh, that to hear back from him soon uh, about. I said, have you have you had any conversations with anyone above your NMTIs or instructors regarding the issues with guys advancing, overall treatment, and or the building and room issues? And I asked that because I I don't know uh, if that's happened, and it's tough to it's tough to crucify the staff if. Uh, it's just the first level of instructors that are are kind of slacking off on the job. And if nothing's been brought up, should they be on top of this stuff? Sure, um, absolutely. But I can tell you the entire time, on the flip side, I can tell you the entire time I was on an instructor staff, we were undermanned by about 20% on average. Uh, and so there were multiple senior staff members doing way more stuff than they should be doing. And so you don't always have the bandwidth to be the perfect leader and catch everything and train everybody and hold everybody accountable all the time, right? Unfortunately, unless a problem is brought to our attention, sometimes we have no idea that it's happening. So I ask that question because if we've went to the staff members and we have gotten dismissed and basically told to shut up and color, the next step is to go to the next step in this chain of command and say, hey, chief or senior chief or whoever, this is what's happening. Uh, I'm not getting the the help that I need. The room stuff's not happening. Like they're not fixing the quality of life issues in the in the barracks that they should be. Their advancement stuff is not getting done in the timeline that it's supposed to be. And that's money out of a sailor's pocket. Like th- these are pretty big issues that should be getting addressed. And I'm confident there's a leader there that will address them. But they gotta be elevated to the proper level in the chain of command. That's step one, right? So when we say it's a toxic chain of command, that's extreme, okay? Unless they're demeaning and completely dismissive and they're create, the senior leaders are creating that climate, hardly toxic. What we're dealing with is some ineffective instructors uh, that need to get held accountable, but again, senior leadership can't do that if they don't know that there's a problem. Which those instructors should be getting evaluated, so they should be they should be getting caught. But it's 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 hard to when they're put on an island like that. MTIs are are commonly on an island where they're they're working independently or with other similar ranks and uh, and pay grades. So 
it's not always happening when that evaluation is happening. It's not happening when that supervisor is there. And then we have to make lemonade as well because I can't replace them with, I can't just pull another NMTI out of thin air. So you've got to bring the problems up. They need to know it's a problem and they need to know the severity of the problem and specific instances and how many students are being affected by it. Because if no one's saying anything and they're just perceiving that this guy's not very motivated because he's about to retire and he's doing a ho-hum job, but I'm not getting a bunch of complaints from the students and you know I'm not hearing about a bunch of material issues, then apparently he's you know meeting the minimum required standard at least. And so it's not the biggest fire for me to put out right now. Make it the biggest fire. Go talk to the next level in the chain of command. Say, hey, this is a problem. It's not just a problem for me. I got this, 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 and this person, all of which same issues or these other issues, bring details, bring you know specific gripes, bring other people if they're willing, and make that the biggest fire they have to put out. Make them understand what a big problem it is. Maybe they don't understand that it's as big of a problem as it is. I'm sure they recognize that this instructor's weak, but I'm not convinced that they understand they have the problem that they do. If, okay, if the answer is yes, I have gone to the next level of the chain of command and I've shared all this information with them and that I've, I've exhausted all the options that I think that I have by going to the chief or whatever, there's always a next level, right? There's a next level in the chain of command. There's a, a CMC. There's, there's, you can keep going with it. Again, same conversation, same approach. If you don't get the answer that you think you should get based on that, then you're at a place where you're kind of gonna, you can go to the commanding officer. That, that should be CMC slash commanding officer conversation. And if you get to that level and nobody is addressing the concerns, uh, then you get to the point where you can reach out to uh, the inspector general's office. Uh, that's a big deal. Uh, there's a local IG. I You'd have to do a little research to find the point of contact for that. Uh, if you reach out to me and you, you want some help doing that, I can help you find that. Uh, and then there's like the big Navy IG in there. You'll see the fraud, waste, and abuse hotlines and, and the big Navy IG posters kind of floating around uh, in different areas uh, of the installation. You've probably seen it and just didn't really know what it was. Uh, that's what it is. And you can Google Navy IG. Like it, It's pretty easy to find a number to reach out to. And, and if the complaint is made, they'll review it. And that if it's not such a big deal that Big Navy is going to come out with a team and investigate it, then they will farm it out to the local IG office who will do the who will look into it and, and see if there's something there or there's not something there. Uh, this doesn't sound like it's at that level, but it could be. Just be aware that that process exists. Uh, I'm not going to go too far down that rabbit hole because I don't think this is where it needs to be. I think where you're at, that your perspective is that you have a poor chain of commands. And we've talked about this in, in other episodes. Um, your perspective is that you have a bad chain of command. Your perspective is limited from a junior enlisted, newest session sailor. And I'm not trying to say you're wrong or that you're dumb. What I am saying is that your perspective is very limited and that your experience is very small. So use the process first. Understand that some of the staff members may not know what's going on, including the NMTIs, but like I, I imagine there's some good NMTIs and then there's some not so good NMTIs. So talk to the good ones and say, hey, I'm having issues with this guy. And they'll hopefully be able to address that at their level. If not, 
go to the next level. Say, hey, chief, I'm having issues. Every time I go to an NMTI, they're dismissive. They never help me with anything. Uh, I'm having issues with getting my advances stuff done. I'm having issues getting stuff in the room getting fixed. And these may be different people, different chain of commands, whatever. Have those conversations. If it is in fact a toxic command climate, exhaust all your options, go all the way up. And then if you have to, there's an IG's office. That's why it exists. Uh, but make sure you you take the opportunity. It's kind of almost like they're entitled to the opportunity to address it first. So make sure that you exhaust the options in your chain of command going in order and just saying, hey, these are the issues that I'm having. I, I would like them addressed. Uh, and, and if you have no success, then there are further steps you can take. If you're uncomfortable doing this face-to-face, which a lot of sailors are, and I, and I understand the position and the power that we're granted with rank is scary and it's intimidating. It's very easy for someone in a position of power to abuse it, okay? Uh, I, I understand why sailors are uncomfortable approaching me and, and providing the feedback or the presenting the problems that they find even though I go out of my way to be open to that and make sure they understand they can say those things. So there is usually, at every command, an anonymous way to provide this kind of feedback. CO suggestion box is one of them. Uh, A lot of times the CMC might have a suggestion box. They may have an anonymous email system. Uh, Check out the school's website. Check out the... um, schools like Facebook page, uh, the commands website, etc., and see if that mechanism exists. Uh, there may be some other way they advertise that at the schoolhouse. They may have an email address. They may have some website you can go to and kind of like do a webmail type submission and, and it's anonymous and you just say, hey, these are the problems I'm having and uh, this is what I think. You, If you have course critiques at this schoolhouse, use them, right? provide all that feedback during the course critique saying, hey, this we every time at the end of a course, we did an NMT program, uh, end of course critique that was anonymous. And then we did a end of course critique for the actual schoolhouse portion at every at the conclusion of every course. So I imagine there is something to that effect that you can complete as well. If they do a command climate survey while you're there, use it. That's what it's for. There's a lot of mechanisms in place to anonymously provide feedback as well. And if a bunch of people are doing it, like if you find it, if you didn't know it exists and you find it and provide that to everybody you know that's having the same problems and have them all submit this anonymous feedback, then all of a sudden it's gonna be like, holy crap, we got a problem. And they're gonna start looking into it and they're gonna start addressing it and fixing it. And then if you get a really negative reaction, that's when you go to the next level, to the next level, okay? Um, there And there are ways for anonymous correspondence if they don't have their own mechanisms, and I'm happy to help you do that uh, if, if you need help. Uh, so just reach out. But it sounds to me like we haven't exhausted all of our options yet. Uh, I, I'm not convinced that the chain of command is completely failing and is toxic. I, it sounds like they've got some problems. It sounds like we need to bring it up to the next level and exhaust those options. And then if we get to that point, the way that you deal with it is, you know, you provide that information to the people that are in a position to fix it. And you'll find somebody that is concerned. <laughs> I promise you, as you elevate through this chain of command, you will find somebody that is going to be alarmed that this stuff is going on and that is going to wreck shop when they find out and do their own digging and realize they have legitimate problems. Heads are going to roll, right? So they're going to go into accountability mode and training mode and 
put people in the right positions and correct the deficiencies and put processes in place and et cetera, right? But you'd be surprised how many times that we're not aware there's an issue and while you on the deck plate level are aware there's an issue, if it's never brought up, if you know, if I don't know it's broke, I can't fix it. So that's that's my uh, that's my advice there. Um, I, keep following up with me on these, right? If uh, if you follow my advice and then you're like, ah, oh, you're a big idiot, it didn't work, or or it did work and I you know I haven't done that yet, and when I did, it, we saw positive change happen. Then great. Um, but follow up. Let me know if the situation evolves. We'll we'll go from there. Uh, and then the last one I want to talk about is uh, I had a guy reach out to me about things JOs can do better, uh, and then also things that Mustangs or limited duty officers and chief warrant officers do poorly, if I have any experience with that. Uh, I do. I have experience with both. I'm happy to talk about them. So uh, the first one I'll talk about is uh, things JOs can do better. This is interesting to me. So I've talked before, and I actually have a spin the yard I haven't released yet that kind of addresses this as well. As I'm in the position where I'm training a new uh, ensign div- division officer, uh, on submarines that are in the unique position of also being a department head as a supply officer, so that's an even more interesting challenge. But things that junior officers can do better um, is be humble. Uh, they're they're junior sailors. They they just are. Uh, a lot of times they can come in with big heads, uh, and they think that because they're an officer uh, that they need to have. Uh, like this air or they like they need to like perform this role of of a a leader to everyone and there's a certain element of fake until you make it when you're a junior officer uh division officer right but you need to be humble and you need to be very receptive to your chiefs especially but that's not the only person that can train you right senior junior officers right so like uh lieutenant jg's have been around a while have a warfare pin right uh full lieutenants even department heads lieutenant commanders uh that run around that can they can teach you a lot especially the specific pitfalls that junior officers uh encounter during their first year or so Um, but also chiefs so there are jos that come on board ships and submarines that think they don't have to listen to their chief or think that they're going to direct me to do things do you outrank me yes you do will i salute you in passing yes i absolutely will but are you going to direct how my division and department function no you're not and that's a that's a shock to a lot of people it's like uh, they they think that they're gonna make the decisions and that they're gonna like direct policy and and make these big decisions in a vacuum and just direct me to do it and then i'm gonna go do it and that's not how it ever happens if you encounter that kind of an issue with a junior officer that's kind of like a little big for their britches, right? Uh, you need to sit down and have that conversation with them and be like, look, sir or ma'am, I'm here to train you. I am the, I'm the expert. I'm the one with all the experience. I am here to advise you to put you in the position to make the best decisions possible. At the end of the day, they, they are the boss, right? Um, but it's understood and it's expected by your senior officers that you are training them and guiding them and mentoring them and holding them accountable when need be. Uh, And and if you have issues with them thinking that they're going to dictate things to you or thinking that they're going to overrule you all the time and they're constantly being combative and argumentative, that's when you go talk to your XO. 
or you go talk to your department head and you're like, look, I'm having issues. They don't want to listen. I'm trying to teach them the right way and they're not, you know, they're not getting it. Uh, that This is the biggest issue that I see with junior officers where they're not receptive to their chiefs. They think they kind of got it all figured out already because they read a John Maxwell book and they know what they're going to do uh, and you're going to listen and blah, 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 right? So, you, you know, you calibrate them yourself, be respectful, be tactful, because again, they do outrank you. So you need to do that the right way because you don't want to destroy the relationship and because you're training a, a future commanding officer. So you need to be mindful of that. Like you don't want to give them a bad taste in their mouth when it comes to chiefs or even the LPOs, right? Because uh, they should be involved in this process too. I got third classes that are trained in my ensign right now and she's very receptive to it because she understands that they're experts in, at what they do and I've trained them very well. And she just wants to be the best prepared uh, supply officer she can possibly be. And so she's super receptive when my expert record keeper sits down with her and teaches her what she needs to know about food orders or inventories or whatever. Uh, and that's amazing. She's got the best attitude on the planet and it is doing exactly what she should be. And I have zero issues with her. And a lot of that is luck, not because I trained her. She showed up this way. But coming in with that kind of a mindset will set you up for success, right? Junior officers need to come in and understand that they need to be learning, they need to be open, they need to be sponges, um, and, and I will put you in the right positions to succeed. I will prepare you with the information. I will put you in front of the division and set you up with the things that you're supposed to say or do so that you don't look silly, and then eventually you'll come to these places on your own because I've trained you to do that, and I've set you up enough times that it becomes muscle memory, and then you'll start doing it on your own, and then you know, you'll turn into the leader that the Navy needs you to be. Um, but you need to be open to that happening. And then if you encounter the issues with that, you just go to the senior officer. The senior officer was trained by a chief. They know. They get it. Uh, they understand that they need to shut up and listen uh, a lot and that they you're there to teach them and you're there to mentor them and you're there to guide them and advise them and put them in the best position to succeed. Uh, so just JOs having that open mind uh, and being ready for that, being sponges, understanding that, yes, you are in charge but that doesn't mean that you're gonna like make all the decisions on your own and you're gonna direct the things that the chief is there to direct. You need to establish really great communication and a really great relationship with your chief as soon as is humanly possible. And you do that with your department head too and your chief can help with that. Uh, so that's what, I, that's what I would say for JOs especially, just the open-minded concept. Just come in with an open mind as a blank slate, ready to learn everything you possibly can about leadership, about the technical stuff, about management, about planning, communication, everything. Um, even if you have experience with it, even if you think you've got certain things figured out, um, if you have a strength, that's great. If you have experience with something, that's great. But it may not translate. So just you communicate that to your chief. Hey, I have experience with this. Does that translate? Just have very, very open, blunt communication with your chief, uh, with your department head, with your LPO, if they're in mature enough to be involved in that process. And uh, I think you'll be very, very set up to succeed. Uh, so Mustangs, on the flip side of that, like we were talking about with the experience piece, Mustangs are limited duty officers uh, and warrant officers. They come in with a lot of experience, right? That's the whole point of the program. Uh, but it's a double-edged sword sometimes. And, and what I mean by that is, uh, limited duty officers are prior enlisted. Uh, they can get commissioned as early as eight years as first classes, but that's a significant amount of enlisted experience into a designator that's in their career field, right? So CSs and LSs would go into supply, uh, et cetera. So the weaponeers will go into weapons designators, uh, stuff like that, because they want 
them to be experts in their field. They're going to put them in very specific billets uh, that they need that prior experience and technical expertise to be successful at. The issues that I generally run into, uh, I worked for a bunch of warrant officers, and uh, while we were all trying to do the right thing the right way, the warrants especially, I think the, the hang-up is they used to be chiefs. It's really hard to turn that off. And when I say used to be, I mean they used to be doing the job. Once a chief, always a chief. I'm not saying that, that you're not a chief anymore. I, I'm very much of the opinion that once you're an accepted chief, you're an accepted chief. I don't care who you are or what you do. Uh, but once they go into the warrant ranks, they're not doing the job of a chief anymore. They're a chief warrant officer. Uh, so they're filling a division officer role, but they're also technical experts, and they're expected to uh, use that skill and experience. But you're not doing the chief's job anymore. And I think that's the the issue that I would run into is that I would come in as the chief or at the time, even the senior enlisted leader and say, hey, this is what's going on. Uh, this is what I intend to do about it. I'm keeping you informed. Uh, are you okay with that? It, it, I would get a lot more, no, we're doing this, completely disregarding all of my experience and expertise and my involvement in the process, I got, I had all the information, I did the DRB, or I did, I was involved in the investigation, or I was the one that talked to all the people involved, or I was the one that knew what was going on. And after a 30 second brief by me, they just completely flipped the decision on their, on its head or told me, no, we're not going to do that or without asking any questions or looking into it at all or whatever. And so they would be trying to do both at the same time. Uh, and I think that's probably the part that that Mustangs or LDOs and, and CWOs probably struggle with. And I think it's probably at more at the beginning. Uh, I've known a lot of senior LDOs uh, and warrants that they figured it out, right? It took some time. It's like going from an LPO first class in, into the chief's mess. It's like, you gotta learn how to let go. And it takes time and of course it does. I would have trouble with it too if I got commissioned. It, it's something that they just need to learn their new roles and it takes time and it also takes really good chiefs and you gotta, It's I think it's a lot harder with LDOs and warrants um, because they're, they've been doing it for so long. A lot of warrants, I mean, God, they can get commissioned at like 15, 16 years as senior chiefs. And it's tough to all of a sudden shift roles and to not be that chief anymore. It's very difficult to transition and kind of let go of the things you were doing as a chief or a senior chief. Uh, you think that that's the right way of doing things. So you just continue to do that that way. And it takes some time and some interactions with some annoyed senior chiefs and chiefs that whose whose toes you're stepping on uh, to kind of communicate that, hey, like I need you to back off and let me do my job and then let me be that advisor and be that you know person that sets you up to succeed at doing your job. Uh, it could be it could be a really great relationship, and it could be really easy because of their experience. Where I you know I don't I'm not training an ensign anymore. I've got a very experienced leader that that knows what they need to do when they need to do it. So a lot of times it's just establishing boundaries uh, and just saying, hey, this is my swim lane. This is your swim lane. Anytime you need anything from me, I'm here to provide it for you. And at any time you need something from me, all you got to do is say something and I will get, I'll be on it, right? I had a really contentious relationship with the last warrant officer I, I worked for. Um, not because he's a bad guy. Uh, he, he was very smart and he had a lot of experience. But I think he thought he just knew better than me all the time. And, uh, it, you know, I don't know that we ever fully got there. I think we got to a, an understanding where this is my swim lane, this is your swim lane kind of thing. Uh, we got to an okay place. But 
it was it it took a, it took a minute uh and he was a relatively new warrant when he got there and so i think he was settling on his role still too it was an odd role uh that he was in where he was kind of almost like a, like a site director he was filling like a small co role you know and it's it's not what he was used to doing and so it took a minute and we we kind of figured that out and then my relief i think probably built on that and did a way better job <laughs> than i did of kind of you know managing that relationship and just understanding that this is my job this is your job this is how we're going to do this and and communicating really well so that each understands because at the end of the day the site director or the the oic or the co or whoever is ultimately responsible for everything so that it is their decision <laughs> at the end of the day but um there are certain things that it shouldn't be on their plate it should be on my plate or it should be on the lpo's plate or it should be on whoever's plate and their their piece is just visibility and the final decision making or or approval or whatever yeah, with that being said, I mean, that's that's everything I got. So those are the three big things that I got from you guys that I wanted to address uh, and that I felt like I could get in, into just one Q&A type episode. Uh, so I, I hope to do this again in the future. Uh, I, I enjoy the questions. Um, I enjoy helping you guys out with specific issues, and I'd love to keep doing that. Uh, so keep them coming. Uh, and if you have questions about the way that I address these questions or answered them or follow on information for these specific uh, specific things that were brought up, don't hesitate to get a hold of us. You can contact us at don't give up the ship podcast at gmail.com. You can Facebook message us at don't give up the ship podcast, or you can DM us on Instagram at DGUS podcast, uh, whichever way works best for you. And I'll get back to you as soon as I possibly can. Uh, and that's how you can feed us questions for future episodes. Uh, that's what I got for today. Thanks for listening and don't give up the ship. Mm-hmm.